Good evening, everybody. Nice to see uh, the little ones out again. Good, and I haven't got a story for you. That's terrible. Yeah? But anyway, we're glad to see you. And if you listen, I might have one or two stories. I don't know when you go out tonight or whether you stay in or not, but it's good to, good to see you. Uh, the most important part of the congregation, they are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. Let us begin the public worship of God here this evening by singing to God's praise in Psalm 68 in the Scottish Psalter at verse 17, where you'll see it speaks about angels. Scottish Psalter 68, 17 to 20, to God's praise. Dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, you have promised to be with us. Not because we're fit for it, not because we deserve it, but because your promise is to those who meet together in your name and we seek to do that and we thank you for the words we've just sung and the reference to your victory, to your ascension and what that ascension brings to us, gifts for men, 
for such as did rebel. And we certainly fall into that category. It's only for sinners that there's a gospel. And we are certainly sinners in the way we prepare for the means of grace, in the way we read the Bible, in the way we sing, and in the way we don't even attend to addressing you when we're professing to do so. We ask that you would create within us a clean heart. Yea, wash us. That we would know that you are indeed Emmanuel, God with us and for us and in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So that we have the wonderful prospect of hearing our elder brothers say, Here am I and the children you have given me. Lord, there are so many things that we don't understand. We're told that you plant your feet on the sea. We don't know what you're up to. We don't know what your purposes are. But we know that you do. And you know the end from the beginning. We pray this evening for our friends and families and perhaps those sitting beside us who are not really interested in the gospel. Who can put up with a little while in church but whose hearts are not excited about meeting with you whose mind is not saying that I, the beauty of the Lord, behold me and admire, and that I in thy holy place may reverently inquire. Lord, we pray for the congregation in every aspect of its life. We think of the uh, family bereaved, Be near to them all. We pray for those undergoing treatment. Reminding us all of our frailty. Yes, in a pointed way. Remembering those who see no hope at all. We pray for them. We pray for the widow. You are the widow's help. We pray for the single. Those who have, do not have a life partner. Grant that they would know the eternal God as their life partner. We pray for those who are out of work, who are struggling at work. We pray for those in our families who think we're just wasting our time coming here. And it's wonderful that we can tell you, casting this and all our cares upon you. We've sung that you are of salvation the God and the God most strong. And in our weakness and frailty and failings, we look to him who is our refuge and our strength. We come empty-handed 
empty-hearted, visit us. How amazing it is that we can ask the Lord of glory to visit us with your salvation. Keep us now. Teach us now. Draw us to worship now. And pardon us for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to read in the first letter of Peter, chapter 1. Let us hear the word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love 
one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And may God help us to retain what we read and bless it to us. We'll again turn to sing again in the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 91, verses 4 through to 11. Psalm 91, 4 to 11. And I think, if I recall, you'll find a further reference to our evening subject.
Did you notice? The last line of the psalm we sung. And the word was also in the previous psalm, and the word was also in the chapter. Now, I'm not expecting you to stand up or lift your hand and say, yes, I noticed. But we should be attentive upon the word. It was lovely. But were you attentive on it? There it is, the last words. His angels charge he shall. So the subject we would like to address this evening is in verse 12 of the chapter we read. Things into which the angels desire to look. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they did not. The prophets longed to see this. They didn't. The angels did. This is from Peter who had a name change, a remarkable experience from Simon to Peter who denied his Lord yet Jesus said of him I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. We don't know for sure how he died but Origen, the early church father, was of the mind that he was crucified upside down. You remember in John 2:18, Jesus told him, When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted, but you will stretch out your hands and be led to where you didn't want to go. And it's believed that that is pointing to his crucifixion. And here he is this evening with us, two years before his death. His colleagues, his friends were dead. James was dead, executed by Herod. Paul had died in Rome, and here's Peter writing to folks in Turkey and to ourselves, writing to converted people, converted Jews and converted pagans, exiles. And he's underlining the great doctrines of the faith. He's writing to what we might call exiled, exiles, resident aliens. And child of God, that's what you are. You're a resident alien. This is not your rest. This is not the world you occupy. It's the world he's sent you into. He's focusing on verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's speaking about how we are to live. Verse 14 is it? Be holy. He's telling us how to behave as exiles in this world and there's a thread throughout the whole of this lovely little book about suffering chapter 1 verse 6 you have trials chapter 3 verse 14 even if you suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed chapter 4 15 and 16 
tells about suffering also. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be afraid. The only compromising, the only suffering Christian is the one who doesn't compromise. The only suffering Christian is the one who doesn't compromise. Do you compromise? Certainly I do. So what do you think about this afternoon? What were you thinking about the last 20 minutes? What was occupying your mind? If there could be one pill that would resolve all the cancer problems in the world, it would be headline news. And you would do all you can to make sure you had access to it. Well, there is a pill that gives you eternal life, speaking with reverence. It's the gospel. It's the good news. We heard that expression in the last verse of chapter 1. It's good news. What do you think about? What did Isaiah think about? And Jeremiah think about? And Ezekiel think about? Verse 10 tells us, the prophets, that's what they thought about, Jesus and his suffering and his resurrection concerning the salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that should come to you searched and inquired diligently inquiring about Jesus and his sufferings and his glory then there's the preachers who did that for you your love Preacher Malcolm addressed you as a soul on the way to the judgment seat with the good news. Those who preached the good news to you, verse 12. And then, and this is where we're going tonight, to the angels. Remember the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. What were they doing? They were gazing. They were built on the ark. And they were gazing at something. Have you gazed on that today? They were gazing on the blood. Where was the eye? It was toward, we're told in Exodus 25, 20. Towards the mercy seat shall the eye of the cherubim be. Now you know whether you've been to the mercy seat today or not. And I'm asking you to go there. Even if you haven't been, go now. The angels, who are they? What do they look into? Why do they long to look into it? And what effect should that have on us? Who are they? Well, they have power. First Chronicles 21.16, David looked up and he saw the angel between earth and heaven with a sword in his hand. And David and the leaders fell on their faces. There was an epidemic, you see. After David numbered the people, 70,000 died. The angels cut off 185,000 of Sennacherib's army. 
They shut the lion's mouth for Daniel. They fed Elijah. They served as an alarm clock for Elijah. Elijah was dozing off. Waking up, Elijah. What happened? He had his cake and his water, his breakfast. And a little while later, waking up. Get going. The journey's too much for you. Have your cake and eat it. The angels troubled the pool at Siloam. Two of the angels ate with Abraham, and two of them sat down with Lot. The angels have power. They were created. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. The earth was finished, and all the host of them. That's when they were made. And you'll see, I believe, a reference to that. Is it in Job? I think it's in Job. I should have looked it up, but it slipped. Two of them were named. Gabriel in Luke chapter 1. And Michael in Jude and two other places. They were created. They worship. They were good singers. Isaiah 6 verse 3. Antiphonal singing. They were singing to each other. This lot were singing. And that lot were responding. And then this lot and the whole lot joined in. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then there was an innumerable company of them singing again at the time of the birth of Jesus. Glory to God on the highest. They spoke to the shepherds. What did they say to the shepherds? Don't be afraid. Next. God is with them. And they are with God. Thousands of angels on Sinai. When the law was given, we sing it often, perhaps. God's chariots, 20,000 are. Thousands of angels strong. In his holy place, God is, as in Mount Sinai, them among. They see God's face. Remember Matthew 18, verse 10. Don't despise the little ones. Their angels do always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. They saw creation. That's the job reference. They saw creation. Job 38, verse 7. When the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for glory. Then they minister to the saints. They protected Elisha. Open the young man's eyes. They spoke to Joseph. Don't divorce Mary. There's something wonderful happening. They warned Paul. 
and assured him of a safe passage. They carried Lazarus to heaven. And much, much more. And they ministered to Jesus. In the wilderness, in Mark chapter 1, verse 13, he was supported in the wilderness. And then one other incident where the angel ministered to Jesus. It's Rabbi Duncan who said, When I get to heaven, there's one angel I want to speak to. I want to meet him. I want to ask him, what did you say to Jesus to comfort him on his way to Calvary? There appeared to him an angel from heaven to strengthen him. Luke 22. And there's a lot of them. Lots of angels. Somebody might say to you, how many people were in Greyfriars last night? I don't know, maybe a hundred. How many people were worshipping with you? You can say, well, I have no idea. How's that? Surely you can count a hundred, can you? Oh, no, no. We are come in worship. Where? To an innumerable company of angels. That is amazing. True worship. John Owen said, while it is executed on earth, is actually performed in heaven. You've got angels worshipping with you. Enjoying you worshipping their master. Who are they? Secondly, if angels have seen and done so much, what do they want to do with their minds and their time? We are told with intense desire. They stoop down with intense desire. The same as John, as Peter on the boat. No, Peter going to the tomb. He stooped down. Then Mary going to the tomb. Stooped down. The angel stooped down. I want to see what's happened. I want to see what's happened in the tomb. It's empty. Isn't that probably the most amazing discovery of all time? He's risen. We read it twice in the chapter. And what do they look into? Look at verse 10 with me. This salvation, the grace, the sufferings of Christ, the subsequent glories, the good news preached to you through men by the Holy Spirit, And there's more. Go back to verse 3. There's mercy. There's the new birth. There's the living hope. There's the resurrection. Verse 4, there's the inheritance and there's the keeping. That's what the angels look into. And it's not for them. It's not for the angels. It's for the likes of yourself and myself. 
And if angels are preoccupied and fascinated and dazzled by these certainties and glories, you know fine what you should be. How is it that these glorious creatures are amazed and long to look in it, look into it, and we lose interest? By Monday lunchtime, we've forgotten it all. We're preoccupied with what we've got to do tomorrow. How is it that we're not searching into these things and meditating upon them? Luther said, I've so much to do today, I need to pray for three hours. Andrew Boner said, I need two hours before I go to do anything, to have communion with God. What is your reaction to the glories of this chapter? I know what an angel would say to you. Don't become preoccupied with angels, William. Don't persuade the congregation to become fascinated by angels. Commend them to be fascinated by what we delight in, what we're amazed with. As Isaiah 45 verse 22 says, Look unto me and be saved, for I am God and there is none else. You know, there's a verse that's in Ephesians. Now, Jesus never visited Ephesus. He never went anywhere near. He never visited Ephesus. And Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, says, Jesus came and preached peace to you. What? You're telling me he was never there? Yes, he was. In his word. And that's where he's here tonight. Meeting you in his word. Knocking on your heart. With the preaching of the word. What do the angels look into? Thirdly, why do they do that? Two reasons, and both of these reasons apply to ourselves. They look into these things because these things show them the glory of God. They were there when creation was happening. They saw all the events of all of history. But they know that the maker of everything is wholly committed and greatly interested in the new creation. Psalm 21 verse 5. In that salvation wrought by thee, his glory is made great. Yes, enjoy the sight of the tree. The flower in the garden. The new birth of the lamb or the dog. Wonder, wonderful. But delight yourself in God. In Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Behold his glory. Why? 
to see the glory. Secondly, to bring them joy. I would like very much, and I hope you would be the same, to make heaven a more joyful place today. What are you saying, William? Did you say you'd like to make heaven more joyful? Yeah. There is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. That's not the verse. I misquoted it. Did you notice what I left out? There is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. Let us remind ourselves then and meditate on their perpetual occupation and worship and stand amazed. They remember their equals now in hell. They're amazed that God became man, that the eternal became the infant of days, that he entered the womb of a virgin, that the author of life was lifeless in a tomb, that the light of the world went out, that the lawgiver became a curse and was made sin, that the holy Lamb of God was numbered with the transgressors. Shame on us if we have less interest than the angels. Here's what Bunyan said. To see a prince earnestly ask a beggar to receive a handout would be a strange sight. To see a king earnestly ask a traitor to accept his mercy would be a stranger sight than that. But to see God earnestly ask a sinner to hear Christ and say, I stand at the door and knock with a heart full and a heaven full of grace to bestow on him that opens to me. This is such a sight as dazzles the angels. It sure dazzles me. I trust it dazzles you. Finally, what effect does this have on us? Chapter 1, verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will brought, be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't be like what you used to be. Verse 14. Verse 15. Live holy lives. Verse 17. Conduct yourselves with fear. Verse 22, love one another. Chapter 2, put away malice and hypocrisy, and deceit and envy. Chapter 3, 
Even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Chapter 4, verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Verse 19 of that same chapter, let those who suffer trust their souls to our faithful creator. Chapter 5, verse 10, God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Verse 12, stand firm in it. Read the Bible. Let it loose in your heart and mind. Enjoy it. Taste and see that God is good. And I'm going to finish with a verse earlier on in chapter 5. And then a further quotation from the tinker. Verse 7. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. There's nothing more profound and more wonderful. And the angels agree with me. Do you? And here's the Bunyan quotation. O Son of God, grace was in all the tears. Grace came bubbling out of your side with your blood. Grace came forth with every word of your sweet mouth. Grace came out where the whip smote you. Grace came out where the thorns pricked you. Grace came out where the nails and the spear pierced you. O blessed Son of God, here is grace indeed, unsearchable riches of grace. Grace enough to make the angels wonder. And grace to make sinners happy. Grace to make sinners happy. Amazing grace. Let's pray. Lord, we find the subject of the angels interesting. We find the story of them and the activities they engaged in amazing. But grant that they, the angels, would not deflect us from doing what your word tells us. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Grant that we would be rejoicing in Jesus and thankful for the amazing grace that's poured out to us, needy people, that we would do what's there in that chapter Set our hope fully on the grace that's brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you've presented us again with Jesus Christ. Thank you. Continue with us as we sing again. Continue with us as we go into whatever our future holds. Pardon us for our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen.
So with God's help, shall we sing about the angels again in Psalm 103 in the Scottish Psalter. And I'll find the verse, I think. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 17, through to the end. Oh, it's in verse 20. You'll sing with me about the angels. Psalm 103, Scottish Psalter, verse 17, to the end of the psalm. Lord, we would like just to do that. Everywhere we go, every day, in everything, to bless the Lord. And we look to you to fulfill the promise we sang there. And to our children's children still his righteousness extends. Lord, give us to live in confidence in your word. 
Lead us and keep us and pardon us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.